Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this episode, we're talking about maintaining a positive attitude to teaching. beautiful teachers. The eagle-eyed amongst you, or especially those who tend to listen to this podcast on our website directly, will have noticed that this title has nothing to do with this week's blog post. So this week's blog post, and actually next week's, are about teaching the blues. And those two particular articles are extremely useful, but they're also very practical in a way that doesn't translate to audio. So I decided to go in a whole new direction. So those posts, they really work better if you read them. I think if I talked you through them, maybe I could make it interesting. I don't think I could make it actionable in a way like where you could retain this if you're driving right now and then you're going to go back home. I don't think you would end up using the teaching ideas just with the practical nature of teaching the blues and working on left hand patterns and stuff like that. So I decided to create a little duo of episodes which have nothing to do with the blues, but are very relevant to all of us as teachers. This first one is about maintaining a positive attitude to teaching. I think this is something we all need to hear, even if you think of yourself as a really positive person. I think if you know me, you probably think of me as a really positive person. I'm been an eternal optimist, really. I'm extremely optimistic and positive. While I'm not bubbly, I think that does come across to my students most of the time. However, we all have our moments, don't we? You have those days where you don't feel like it today, or this student is just testing your last nerve. The reality is, as with most things, it's normally not our students' fault. I mean, I'm not going to say you shouldn't intervene if something really inappropriate or disrespectful is happening. That's a whole other issue. But I think we always need to do that check-in with ourselves first, right? Were we going into this day with a slightly more negative outlook than we should have? Or this week? Or this month? Or this year? So there are sort of two sections to this that I want to look at with you. So if you feel like your attitude needs a correction or you just want to have these in the bank for when you're not feeling quite so positive, listen on and we'll talk about two sides to this. The health side and the attitude side. So I said this was about the attitude, but I want to start by talking about the health side or let's say the foundations of your attitude. I believe if you don't have these things in place first, you are 
building yourself up to have a negative attitude or be in a bad mood when you're teaching. The first element that I think can really set you up for failure when you're trying to have a positive attitude is not having a buffer before your teaching starts. Now, the amount of time you need will depend on you. So this is something I think you need to experiment with. But what I mean by a buffer is, okay, well, the opposite of having a buffer is that you literally, you teach from home and you literally throw on your teaching outfit five minutes before you're supposed to start teaching, answer the door or literally change (laughs) or like are drinking your cup of coffee or whatever you're doing before you start teaching, as the doorbell rings. I think we need a buffer. We need to have an amount of time that we are ready in advance so that we can settle into the teaching day, so that we can be there and fully present and in the right mode when our student arrives. I would suggest a minimum of like 10 minutes. We're not talking about a lot of time, but even that 10 minutes of sitting in your usual teaching space, or even if that's your normal working space, that 10 minutes where you've put away your regular office tasks or your family stuff, and you're kind of in teaching mode before the teaching actually begins. You don't have to just sit there and being all Zen. (laughs) You can do that. You could start with a meditation, but you can also use that time. But it's for something directly related to that student who's coming in or the students for that day or that week so that you're getting in the right mindset. The next foundation of a positive attitude is planning ahead. If you're constantly chasing your tail right up until your student arrives in terms of actually being ready for the lesson, that can also get in the way. So this is different to the buffer because it's about, it's more spread out over time. It could be things you do that morning or the week before or the month before, depending on how far ahead you plan. But if you're just coming up with the scrambling to get the resources and the books together as your student is coming in and you're not planning ahead and you're not thinking ahead to where they'll be next week, that can lead to a lot of unnecessary stress for you. The next one is one I'm super passionate about and I think not enough teachers do, so I'll keep saying it until you all do it. I think you should have a minimum break requirement for yourself, as if you were working for someone else. Even if you're not, you should have a minimum break requirement. So in my studio, that's we have a minimum of a break every two and a half hours or four students, whichever comes first. So normally the four students might come first. So if you have half hour blocks, like that might be standard. But two and a half hours with three students isn't quite as tiring when you have those longer lessons. So that's why I have it worded that way. But you can make it whatever you like. The point is that you've decided it and ideally written it down and that you never break it. It's an actual rule that you follow in your studio. For those breaks, I think you should have on hand some healthy energy-boosting snacks that you know don't cause you to then crash in the next period of teaching. This is really about listening to your own body, noticing trends. So it's not about just assuming things with a health halo are going to be perfect. Like if you have a smoothie and that makes you crash in the middle of a teaching period because you actually need less sugar and more protein or more something else during that time, you know, that's personal to you. It really is different for different people. But figure out what snacks help you keep going or what drinks help you maintain your energy for your teaching and have them ready to go. And finally, and this is a huge one, 
you need to charge enough that you don't resent the time you're spending teaching. This is the way, or a paraphrase of the way, that Christina Whitlock recently put this, or a few months ago. She was talking about this on her podcast, about figuring out how to charge enough that you don't resent the time you're teaching. Meaning that teaching time is pulling you away from other things in your life. If you're charging a low enough rate that you just feel like, well, I would rather be whatever, insert your thing here. I would rather be scuba diving. I would rather be spending time with my kids. I'd rather be whatever, rather than earning this much money for this time. Then that just sets you up for a terrible attitude as well. So speaking of the attitude, let's deal with that now. Let's assume you have those four things in place. So you have minimum breaks where you are re-energizing yourself with snacks or you time or whatever you do during that time. You're planning ahead enough and you have a buffer before your teaching starts so you're not running in the door right as your student arrives. And you charge enough for your lessons that you never resent the time you're spending with your students. Now let's talk about some attitude correcting behaviours if you've got those in place. The first one, if you have a poor attitude, is to become a beginner. Find a way to put yourself in a beginner's shoes again and again and don't just sit there and try to remember what it was like to be a beginner at piano or at your instrument. Actually become a beginner. Learn something new, even if it's a small thing. Learn to crochet. Learn how to cut out games better. Learn something where you actually feel a little bit lost, where people are using terms that you don't understand and where you truly don't have the upper hand on everyone else there. Making yourself into a true beginner will help you to empathize better with those you're serving, with your students. That can go a long way to the next point, which is breaking down the concepts enough. So we're talking about a positive attitude, but actually we can get frustrated when we haven't taught as well as we should have. (laughs) Often that's where the problem is. It's further back than we think. We're frustrated in this moment, But it's because we didn't break down the steps enough and we didn't set the student up for success and now it's backfiring into our face. So if you are getting frustrated with your student for not getting something, for not doing something the right way, for not following through and practicing it at home, then ask yourself whether you've broken down this concept enough. Have you given them enough stepping stones that they could actually get to where you want them to go? And there's an attitude adjustment you can make within that as well. If you start to see stuff like that as a puzzle, as a detective mystery, (laughs) that you can figure out, what have I not broken down? What have I said in the wrong way? What other modes could I teach this in? Rather than talking about it, could I be demonstrating it? Could we be listening? Could we be moving? Could we be playing a game? If you start to see things as a puzzle that you can keep trying to find the riddle, the answer to the riddle, then it's really enjoyable and engaging for you. I promise you, this is how I see all the teaching issues that come up. None of them really frustrate me. They still come up for me. Don't get me wrong. Everyone struggles with things. Everyone has moments where they're just scratching their head and saying, this student is not getting it. And I feel like I'm being the best teacher I can be. But you never are. Because there's always better. There's always a new way to do it. And to avoid being frustrated by that, to avoid feeling inadequate, you need to see yourself as this puzzle unlocker 
right? This is your professional job is to uncover the answers to puzzles, not puddles. (laughs) What would be the answer to a puddle splashing in it, I think. But uncovering the answer to puzzles is your profession. That's a large part of what we do as I see it. If you tend to have a bad attitude towards a particular student's lesson, you need to find a connection with them. No matter how little they are, they are a person. They have a personality. And so some people in this life, in this world, some people we can connect with right away. We're just on the same page. We're on the same wavelength. We get each other and we have a laugh right away. Or we share things really well together. But some you don't. And that's true with adults. So it's going to be true with kids. That doesn't mean you can't find common ground with them. It doesn't mean you can't make a connection. You don't need to force it, but you can find something that you have in common with them, that you find interesting about them. You can find something. They're a lovely human in some way, and you need to find what that is. Emphasize that to yourself so that you can start to develop a proper relationship with them. And my final tip for a positive attitude is to keep injecting fresh ideas and stay playful in your teaching. No one can be both playful and negative. I don't don't think you can manage to do those two things at the same time. If you maintain this attitude of play, if you see yourself as uncovering things with your student, if you are constantly playing as in, again, puzzling through things, that's really what play is about, You keep this curiosity. And if you keep injecting fresh ideas, if you keep trying new games, trying new improvisation activities, trying new practice methods with your students, if you stay curious in that way and try fresh things all the time, you will stay engaged. If you decide that you've unlocked the secret to teaching a particular skill and so you just do it that way forever now and you never question it again, you are going to get bored And you're going to do that with less enthusiasm. So it's actually going to stop working, even if it was a great solution, because you can't do it with the same enthusiasm for 10 years or for 20 years. So I hope those ideas help you maintain or re-inject a positive attitude into your teaching and that you'll join me back here next week as we talk about the hypocrite oath. How mysterious. Your one thing this week is to go back to the start of this episode and look at those four areas we discussed as foundations of positive attitude. Are there any of those areas where you're lacking? And how can you course correct so that you avoid developing a bad attitude or a bad mood for teaching in the future? That's it for this week, folks. You can find me in the comments underneath the article that goes along with this episode on the Colourful Keys blog, or come find me on Instagram and chat to me there. We're at Colourful Keys. Vibrant Music Teaching membership costs less than the price of one lesson each month. That is totally worth it for all of the courses, games, resources, downloadables, printables that you can get access to as a member, as well as a fabulous community support you'll find inside. Go to vmt.ninja and become part of the revolution.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.